Hot and dry weather forecasts have been dominant throughout the country and around the world. But could shifts on the horizon change the outlook as we move towards harvest? That's today on Field Posts. DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. Farmers and ranchers around the U.S. are in the thick of the growing season and watching carefully as even the slightest weather shifts move markets. What has been a hot, dry, and drought-stricken summer for many has ag commodity watchers on the edge of their seats as harvest looms, and the size and condition of the corn, soybean, and wheat crops, among others, come into sharper focus. DTN's team lead for ag weather, John Baranek, joins us today to offer us an inside look at weather conditions as we move through the hottest parts of summer towards harvest. He'll talk through drought and heat conditions, the impacts of recent derechos and likelihood of more extreme weather, and how global conditions might be impacting U.S. markets. We'll also talk hurricanes, grazing conditions, and the state of the Colorado River Basin, plus hear a full and updated outlook for the coming months, right after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential, more than ever, to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at mydtn.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show. Team lead for Ag Weather John Baranek joins us today to dig into the latest ag-relevant weather forecasts. John, give us an update on just what are you watching most closely right now weather-wise? Yeah, well, we've seen a contrast from where we were in the spring. In the spring, we had a really active weather pattern for most of the country, um, central, northern plains, all the way through the Midwest and most of the eastern states as well. Now, obviously, that wasn't the case in kind of the southern plains and the southwestern plains where you know we were very worried about winter wheat and that those worries turned out to be pretty true. Drought there has just been expanding ever since we talked last, and I think that was in the spring. But... Over the summertime, we got away from this really active pattern, and uh, we've seen dryness really start popping up in more areas than what we had over the springtime. Nebraska is kind of a state there, kind of in the mix of everything, uh, honestly. They've got drought, but they've had issues with severe weather throughout the season, hail and wind and tornadoes and derechos moving through. But in between all those weather activities, it's been hot, dry, and windy. And that's just kind of the hotbed of kind of adverse conditions in the country. But we've also seen a lot of drought developing across the eastern Corn Belt, down in the Delta, in the southeast, in the northeast. 
and uh, it's just been kind of spotchy and splatchy, if those are actual words. <laughs> but they have actually, it's been popping up somewhat as expected in this part of the, the country. We were talking about it last time, I'm sure, and I know I've mentioned it before and some of the other things that we do here at DTM, that we've been expecting a very hot and dry summer to kind of sap soil moisture around, start developing drought, worsening drought in spots. And we've definitely seen that over the first half of summertime here. Talk to us a little bit about what that might mean. As we look at, you mentioned the Eastern Corn Belt, as we look at the plains, we've seen wheat be very affected, especially in the Southern Plains. We got to talk here on the podcast about the uh, wheat tour that DTN did earlier this summer, but how is this playing out? Is this, you talked about splotchy rain. Has it been enough? Has the crop been significantly affected? Are we still kind of waiting and seeing? It depends on what area you're looking at. One of the more interesting things, I think, I guess it's just me being a nerd, is the wheat situation up in the north. Last year, they had just tremendous drought and they just suffered immensely. North Dakota was one area where they were dealing with drought from the beginning, drought to the end, and it never really got good enough for them for wheat. And this year, it's almost the exact opposite. They got they got a lot of rain to start off the spring, and they've had enough to go through the summer here to really maintain things. Obviously, everybody knows about how the, the delayed planting went, but the moisture that has stuck around throughout the summer as well. So there's some areas here and there, obviously, that don't get it. But on the whole, the winter wheat situation has improved drastically, not just in North Dakota, but in, in Montana as well. There's a large sections of Montana that are drought-free, as we're talking now here in, in mid-July. And uh, the conditions on wheat crops, for spring wheat in particular, I think early on in the summer, I was reading from one of our analysts that uh, you know when the first spring wheat crop ratings came out, it was about 54% good to excellent ratings from the USDA. Now they're sitting at 70 71%. The drastic turnaround for wheat, whereas last year at this time, it was 11% good to excellent. It's just really dramatic. On the flip side, where we're talking about, and you asked about drought, in the Eastern Corn Belt, it's Indiana, really, Central Indiana, that's had some, some rough times with that. Kentucky, Tennessee, also having areas of that. And it's just scattered throughout. There's no real large section that encompasses a lot of area until you get down towards that delta region, the southern Missouri and northern Arkansas, and then across the Mississippi River into Tennessee, Mississippi, and Kentucky, where there's like a large area in the eastern Corn Belt of of drought and how that's affecting things. Of course, this is an area that had some pretty good rainfall over the springtime. So the root systems on some of these crops are pretty shallow. So they really need more consistent and more frequent rainfall than, say, up in Minnesota or Iowa, where root systems are a little deeper and they can rely more on subsoil moisture. And so if we're not getting these frequent rainfall events, the crops hurt a little more. And unfortunately for corn right now, we're in the midst of pollination and we're seeing some of these drier areas just show up and it really have some adverse effects. Now, it's again, I mentioned that it comes with more frequent precipitation as needed, and luckily, we saw some here over this last weekend, kind of widespread, actually, across the eastern Corn Belt. And it was a lot of it was light to moderate type rainfall. There were some areas that saw some heavy rainfall, but the light to moderate rainfall was most concerning because it's not going to last that long. And you already mentioned the heat that's coming and what we've been experiencing here. And that soil moisture will get used up really quickly. It's just going to need more. 
You mentioned the wind earlier. Talk a little bit about, we've seen a derecho or two blow through the middle part of the country already. What are you watching in terms of maybe some of that extreme weather in those key areas in the corn, soybean growing regions especially? Yeah, we've seen a couple of them. Some We had one in April that was before everything really started getting planted. And so we didn't really have a whole lot of damage to crops there. I know there's a lot of damage to infrastructure and people's buildings and equipment and everything. Then the northeast Nebraska up through kind of western Minnesota and eastern South Dakota where that one went through. We had another one that kind of went through the eastern Corn Belt a few days before that too. It was technically labeled a derecho, but it's questionable. But still, there was some severe wet, some pretty decent severe weather that's occurred over the eastern Corn Belt as well. And Nebraska, like I mentioned, was has been in a hotbed of severe weather activity. It's just been in the right spot this year. Uh, a lot of times with severe weather, we need fuel for thunderstorms, so that's heat and humidity, and we need something to trigger it. And so it's usually a cold front, but it doesn't have to be. But we've had a lot of cold fronts just come down from the northern plains and just kind of stall out around Nebraska. And that's been enough to create some more of those severe weather events. Now, unfortunately, when they're not around, it's just been, like I said, hot, humid, or hot, dry, and, and windy. And uh, earlier this spring, definitely, we saw issues with large storm systems, widespread, not from thunderstorms, but background winds just blowing through the plains. It was worsening the drought in the southern plains for wheat down there, for sure. But drying out the topsoil moisture in the central plains as well. And that's calmed down here this summer as we've had less of these systems move through. As we're talking today, it's actually <laughs> quite windy up here where I'm at in Minnesota and in the Dakotas behind one of the systems moving through. So um, we can still get these systems to move through and be windy. That's one thing that we don't think about a whole lot in the summertime is strong winds because usually we're thinking about it in the spring and the fall. But it, when it happens in the summertime, it's a little bit more devastating because temperatures are already high. And uh, crops are using quite a bit of soil moisture anyway. And the wind not only takes it out of the crop, but if it can reach the soil surface, if the crops are canopied, really saps the soil moisture right from the ground as well. So it's a double negative, but doesn't end up in a positive. <laughs> Numerical things would work out that way. <laughs> Speaking of severe weather, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about prior to the start of the hurricane season, talked quite a bit about the potential going into this year, but we're in mid-July now, haven't seen a ton. Are you expecting to see more? Obviously, there's not a ton of cropland right on the coast that we expect to be affected, but hurricanes do have a tendency to affect weather throughout the middle of the country. Are you still watching the hurricane season closely or, I don't know, is it not seem to be as much of a factor? Oh, we're always watching the tropics, especially when you're we're talking about El Nino, the Enso picture. La Nina years or even neutral years tend to favor increased tropical storms across the Atlantic. It doesn't always mean they're going to affect the U.S. Some of these years, a lot of it's just off over the Atlantic, and then they get close to the U.S. and then just curve away. But one of the things we kind of watch for is that tropical storms can form on tail ends of cold fronts. And so if we get stronger cold fronts that move all the way into the southeast into the Gulf of Mexico, off the coast of the Carolinas, some of these can produce tropical storms, and they don't give you very much warning. Models don't really see these coming up um, a long ways away. It's not like something that's coming off the coast of Africa and you just sit there and watch it move across the Atlantic. It's one of these things that just, is the front going to make it into the nice warm waters of the Gulf or the Gulf Stream off the coast of the Carolinas? Will it form a tropical system there? 
And so we're always watching carefully for some of those things to happen because you're right. It doesn't just affect stuff right along the coast. A lot of these end up inland. Usually when we're talking about the big inland ones, we're talking about the ones that are coming from Africa and these big long treks that go through the Caribbean and then slam into the U.S. and move their way inland before moving their way out. But yeah, we're always watching the tropics. It's nothing, you can never take your eyes off of that. It's a very important thing because they're a huge impact across large areas. Usually that's actually beneficial with rainfall. Obviously there's areas that get too much during tropical uh, events. And then they also bring increased winds, which can damage crops or tornadoes. And that's another big thing with tropical systems that we don't talk about a lot, but when they come on, they have an, a tendency to increase tornadoes across the region where you think you're just, um, you're just getting some rain bands come through and all of a sudden this huge burst of wind comes through. You have no idea what's going on. Turns out it's actually a tornado. Those things are always on the mind, on my mind, as I'm looking down there in the Southeast. I want to talk a little bit about kind of the edge regions as well, looking maybe at the Western United States. Talk a little bit about the heat in the Western part of the United States and expectations going into the second half of this year, where things might be headed. Yeah, so the West has actually been not too bad where we've had the heat. They've gotten it too, but it's nothing too much out of the ordinary outside of like California, Nevada areas, which is obviously where a lot of people live. And they've had issues with increased drought in like the Central Valley and water availability stuff there. But in terms of the region as a whole, if you take the Rockies westward, the Pacific Northwest has actually seen quite a reduction in drought. They follow along what we talked about with the Northern Plains, where they've had actually some pretty good rainfall for a lot of these areas in the Pacific Northwest, Idaho, Washington especially, but even a lot of Oregon as well. And then something that a lot of people that don't live there don't think about is there's actually a monsoon. So when you think of monsoon, you think of heavy rain, you think of like India or Southeast Asia where it rains constantly all day, it's heavy rain. We do have somewhat of a of a monsoon here. It's not to that extreme like they have out there in Asia, but we do have a monsoon during the middle of the summer. And that actually started early this year. Usually it starts in early to mid July. So around this time of the year. But this year, it actually started in mid-June. So it was like a full two to four weeks early. And we've seen drought reductions in the Four Corners area that have been quite significant. New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado have all seen significant reduction in drought coverage and intensity uh, over the last several weeks. And really what kind of helps to feed that, what, what brings all that moisture in because it's a desert, is actually a ridge of high pressure over the top of them, bringing in moisture in from the Pacific Ocean. And we've seen that quite significantly. That's what's brought us the heat here east of the Rockies. And it's really drawing that moisture in it. And it's going to continue to do so. We don't really see this ridge doing much other than waffling between the west and the plains for the rest of the summer. And so the heat will definitely be there, especially if you're in California. The water situation is not going to get any better over the summer months. It never does. We have to wait then for fall and winter for that to pick up. And that's their wet season is actually over the wintertime in California. But for the rest of kind of the Intermountain West, Four Corners region especially, this is the time of year when you're really hoping that some of these thunderstorms, while hopefully they don't produce mudslides or flooding, will help wet the basins and kind of increase uh, river flows. I think everybody's aware of what's been going on in the Colorado River and how low that's been gotten. I think 
if you've seen pictures of Lake Mead between Arizona and Nevada that kind of fuels the water for Las Vegas and people downstream actually on the Colorado River down all the way down through California and Mexico, the water level has just been so dramatically low uh, that people are worried that some of these lakes are going to become dead pools where they're not getting fed and they're not draining out. And fortunately, I think the monsoon has been helping, at least in some regard, to keep those kind of fears at bay for the time being. And it looks like that will likely continue here through the summer. You mentioned a little bit about Missouri and the Delta earlier. I'm thinking, especially those key cotton areas in the southern part of the U.S., from Texas over into the southeast, struggled with flooding over the last several years. Give us an update kind of how things are looking in the wider Delta area. Yeah, the Delta as a whole, is it's been kind of wishy-washy this year. The spring, you're right, we did have some flooding. We had a drought in and out of the region, especially across the southern half of the Delta. It was in and out. But the northern Delta was a lot like the eastern Midwest this spring, where they had plenty of rainfall, widespread, saturated soils for a long time in the spring. And that just dried out here over the last several weeks. We've seen what we may call flash drought just developing all over the region. And that's not a good thing. A lot of the area right now, if you look at the latest drought monitors, categorized as moderate drought. There's some spotty areas of extreme drought in there. But unfortunately, it looks like, I mentioned the southeast has got all these pop-up showers going on. Doesn't quite get as far west as the delta. So the, the Mississippi River is kind of a dividing line in where it's kind of moist and showery across the southeast. So Alabama, Georgia, those cotton areas are doing much better, especially lately over the last few weeks that have gotten some better rainfall. And then when you get west, so you're going from the Mississippi River uh, back through West Texas, where I already mentioned that the the drought there has just been incredible. There's a gradient there where there's almost no drought in the southeast and quite a lot in Texas. And uh, the Delta region there has just been in and out, but it's trending a lot more over the last couple of weeks, being a lot drier. And that heat has really been coming on too. We've got near triple digits here yesterday, today, and really all this week. And I would be surprised if that didn't continue next week as well. So the heat's on, we're getting fewer showers, drought stress and everything is going to continue to build in that region. I want to touch on the global picture. Europe has been making news this week for some record high temperatures. I'm curious how you are watching the international weather picture as we go into the next part of the season. I don't know, what's catching your attention in terms of other key growing regions in the world? And there's all sorts of stuff all over the world right now. Yeah, so the heat in Europe is making headlines for sure. But it's not just the last few days where it's been like very extreme. Honestly, just today, Heathrow Airport in London hit 40 degrees Celsius or 104 Fahrenheit. It's only hit above 100 degrees Fahrenheit one other time in history. That was two years ago or three years ago in 2019. And this is the first time that they hit the 40 Celsius mark in all of the UK. So that, I think that's what's pushing headlines. It's, like, it's really extreme, but it's been hot all summer long across almost all of Europe. If you're looking at from Spain, France, Italy, these areas have had very little rainfall over the course of the summer. It's a lot of wheat country and a lot of that has already been harvested and has already dealt with the heat and everything. But there's, you know, plenty of corn and other like sunflowers, sugar beets, those sorts of things that are still grown during the summertime there in Western Europe. 
and not just the, the heat that's been going on, but dryness as well. So they've, when systems have gone through, they haven't provided a whole lot. They got a kind of a break in June, but we're looking at the heat continuing for the next couple of weeks in and out of the area. And it's spreading through Europe, honestly. Um, Eastern Europe actually had a pretty good spring. They got plenty of rainfall, cool, nice cool conditions, nothing overly extreme until we hit June. And then everything started falling downhill. So again, these areas are a lot more winter wheat, some spring wheat, especially up across the north. A lot of winter wheat. So a lot of that's already done. But another thing that I don't think a lot of people are going to talk about is actually livestock. And areas around here don't have a whole lot of, a lot of these are smaller farms. They're not like U.S. farms where you have big giant feedlots everywhere. They're smaller farms that don't have a whole lot of resources. And when things like drought and heat hit, they hit really hard. And so I think a lot of these areas are going to be suffering in that regard. The Black Sea region, the war has been the big talk out there. And it's hard to really tell how much crop is actually in the ground or going to be harvested this summer and fall. The weather around there has actually been pretty decent. I mean, it's kind of unfortunate given the political things going on there, but it's a bright spot in the world's agricultural area for this year where we've got pretty decent conditions. There's some trouble spots in southern Russia doesn't have quite the greatest conditions for growing corn and sunflowers here this summer, but overall it's not too bad. Other areas that we're looking at are China. Obviously, China is a big importer of corn and soybeans from the world, and they grow plenty of their own too. If they struggle, they're going to have to import some more, and if they're doing great, they might not have to import as much. We're looking at them, and honestly, they're doing pretty good this year. They had some issues with wheat earlier this year and some a, a dry spring in kind of their central growing areas. But the Northeast, where they grow a lot of corn and soybeans, has been doing re- really well. I think they're on a good pace for what they need to produce and, and are in good shape. So that's obviously not great for us farmers here in the U.S. when we want to try and sell some of our stuff to them. But uh, for them, at least, that's a kind of a bright spot. Australia is also an interesting spot. Last year, La Nina produced a bumper crop of wheat and canola for them. This year, it looks like it's going to do the same thing. They've already had some really great weather from their fall and winter. You know, they're now headed towards spring because they're opposite of us. And the wheat will be waking up and growing a little bit more intensely. And it's got plenty of soil moisture around. With La Nina around, we're uh, still expecting plenty of showers to go through Australia. So Australia is a pretty good spot as well. And then South America, we'll wait until fall to really talk about how La Nina may or may not be hurting the corn and soybean crops for them. They don't get planted for another couple months. But their wheat crops are a little interesting. So in Brazil, wheat has expanded quite a bit. I think I saw one analyst say that they're growing more wheat there this year than they have in the past 30 or 40 years, something like that. Wheat's really come alive in southern Brazil, and they've got really good conditions down there too. It's been kind of wishy-washy with temperatures, but overall, their rainfall's been pretty good. Argentina, unfortunately, has not been a bright spot. They've been very dry. We haven't seen a whole lot of precipitation down there in their wheat areas for several months, honestly. And planting and establishment has been very poor. Temperatures have been cold. They've had this part of the world gets uh, frost and freezes fairly regularly during their winter time, but it's been deep freezes instead of just frost. They've had some issues definitely down there in Argentina for their wheat, but we'll have to see how South America is going to go coming up here for for their corn and soybean seasons. I'm not quite ready to talk about that yet. I think it's a little too far off. 
And we're not quite sure how the whole El Nino Enso picture is going to go to be talking about that yet. I did want to ask, you mentioned the livestock outlook and situation. Earlier this summer, we had a couple of extreme stories about deaths in feedlots related to just heat stress. Talk a little bit about on the one side, the heat picture for livestock producers, where that's a concern, and then also the drought picture for grazing, especially in the areas in the West where drought has been hitting hardest. Yeah, those Southwestern feedlots, if you're in West Kansas through Texas, those areas right there just getting just hurt. Everybody knows that. You mentioned the, the stories about the kind of extreme deaths that occurred with one such event. I think it was in early June where I think it was something around 10,000 head of cattle had died off in southwest Kansas feedlot due to some extreme heat, humidity, and lack of winds. You know, that's kind of summertime. You hope you can prepare for some of that. And cattle's kind of a got a herd mentality. So if they feel stressed, they all herd together, and that just doesn't work in the heat. Um, unfortunately, it looks like looking forward, it's that area of the country there, the central southern plains, that's going to see the extreme heat more often than not. Cattle are probably a little more used to it now than they were back in early June. I don't know if we'll see any more stories about those incredible losses that we saw earlier here this summer, but it's those areas there that I'm most concerned about. Areas farther north, like Wyoming and the Dakotas, they'll definitely feel the heat at times, but it's nothing that I don't think that's going to be overly concerning. I think more concerning is the drought picture. And uh, we've seen plenty of rainfall, honestly, for these northern feedlots where doesn't seem to be a concern right now. Uh, I've talked to a few people, not a whole lot, but a few people that kind of live and and work around there and interact with some of the the producers up there. And they're all feeling pretty good considering where they were in the spring and what the outlook was for the summer. I think they're pretty happy with what the picture looks like right now. I think it's more of where we're looking at in the future here for the rest of the summer that may have them a little bit more concerned because I think you know, a, a lot of the storm track has actually been up through the northern plains and but and into the Canadian prairies. But I think now this is the time of year where it pushes more north of the border. We get more into the heat, less into the rainfall. And we could see some of those pastures drying up a little faster over the next couple of months. And what looked like a really good start to summer here might not end up being as great. Now, of course, it's not like last year where the entire region was in drought the whole year. And our temperatures this year are nowhere near as high as what they were last year. But I think we could see some stress and some kind of some cattlemen out there just being like, ah, you know what? Dang, this just didn't turn out to be one of those great years. But hopefully the losses that might be coming a lot fewer and further between for people just based on where things started off here this summer. Okay, give us your outlook. We are, depending on your crop in your region, I suppose we are either a few weeks or many weeks away from harvest still. But yeah, are you optimistic about weather conditions for actually getting the crop out of the field? Do you think we're, in terms of what you're tracking in terms of major systems, does it seem like the key corn, soybean, wheat regions are going to get the moisture, the weather they need in the next few weeks? Give us your outlook. Sure. I guess I'll start with wheat. We talked about it already. And I'm pretty optimistic about it. We've only got a few more weeks left before we really start thinking about harvest starting. Now, we're a little bit delayed, obviously. We're not starting in July. We're starting in August this year. But uh, we're finishing with some pretty good soil moisture around. And at least over the next week or two, we don't have a whole lot of concerns with high heat and humidity being uh, a big impact on quality up there. Uh, And actually, it was last night where models turned around a bit. 
And instead of keeping the heat up there, they're bringing some cooler temperatures up into the northern plains here for next week. I think in the short term, we're definitely good. But by the time we get to the end of the short term, the long term is we're pretty much done anyway. I think wheat situation, especially as you get into Canada, is a lot better obviously than where we were last year, in a really good spot. I'm pretty optimistic about wheat production for spring wheat. That includes all the way back into the Pacific Northwest too, even though this area has seen declining moisture over the last maybe couple weeks and some of the heat's getting back in there. Crop conditions are just so great, especially in Washington. I think the latest USDA numbers were 97% good to excellent in the state of Washington, whereas last year it was 0%. (laughs) So it's been like, it's just been just an amazing turnaround in that part of the country. Corn and soybeans is where I'm most concerned. And in the short term, it's corn because we're pollinating. Everything is really dependent on weather right now. The picture is definitely for heat this week, limited shower potential across the corn belt and the delta. And even next week, as I mentioned, we have a flip. We may be bringing in some cooler conditions into the plains, the northern plains, maybe central plains. But the eastern Corn Belt, eh, not so much. We might get some showers out of it, which would be a good thing. And really, if it's not exactly that you need normal amounts of moisture. You need just enough at just the right time. And so we might get that. We saw a little bit over the weekend. We're getting a little bit of that later this week and weekend across the Corn Belt. Get another shot potentially next week. It's not devoid, but some of the drought that's popped up and, and the, the lack of overall heavy showers coming through on any wide scale Guys, it has me concerned for some areas for corn and soybeans. I think the most important parts for that, for corn, is central Indiana. They saw some decent rainfall over the weekend, but I think they're going to need more. East central Illinois, the northern delta region where they grow corn, and in through Nebraska if they don't have the irrigation. And so those are the kind of areas that I'm most concerned about, but any one of these can just get totally missed by any incoming rainfall. And if they haven't hit pollination yet and they're going to it without any rain or significant soil moisture, it's not a good thing for them. Soybeans, I'm concerned, but not as concerned. We all know that soybeans kind of hangs on for dear life until August and it just says, give me all the rain you got and I'll use it. And with the models kind of flipping over next week, I'm not as confident about the forecast for August as I would have said even yesterday. Our forecast has always been for hotter, drier conditions across the Corn Belt, all the way down through the Delta in the Southeast for the month of August. And I don't see a huge reason to detract from that yet. So I still think we have concerns for soybeans across our major growing areas. I will say that I'm not as confident as I was even yesterday. And I have to note that we don't really know what's going on with the El Nino picture a La Nina picture for the, over the next few months that may or may not have an influence on this as well. So again, I have concern, especially where the drought areas already exist for soybeans, but I'm not confident that it'll be all doom and gloom for soybeans. We'll also have to watch the tropics. Anything coming up from the Gulf of Mexico that goes up the Mississippi River could just dump the right amount of rain at the right time there. August is always a prime month for tropical storm development. Between August and September, those are the two most strongly correlated months with tropical storms in the Gulf of Mexico. So just one event would just make the crop. We'll just have to see how that works. So again, not as concerned as with soybeans as I am for corn. I'm always curious at this point in the season, you mentioned that the tropical storms might be a big one, but 
talk to us about any other wild cards, things that you would be keeping a close eye on, not necessarily because they're going to happen, but because if they did happen, it might be a game changer, it might be a market mover. What are you keeping track of? Yeah, that's a great question because one of the things that happened this year, obviously, was the late planting in a lot of areas, corn, soybeans, and wheat. And if we get an early frost, that could really put some damage on all three crops. Maybe wheat, not so much as as we start harvesting up here in a few weeks, but corn and soybeans, definitely. And one thing that we're seeing is a lot... what we do for in, in DTM with our long-range forecasting is we look at what are called analog years. I know I've mentioned this with you, Sarah, before, but just to get listeners caught up, we use analog years. And basically what we do is we look at years in the past that look a lot to the year we're currently in and then project out how those years ended. We'll use those as a baseline for our forecast. So if we were to look at our current conditions and say 2011 looks a lot like it is right now, what happened in 2011, the rest of the year and going into 2012, and we'll use that as our baseline forecast. So like how, how, how quickly did the winter come in? How wet was August and September? How cold did it get? How early did the cold come in? How, when was that first frost? All those sorts of things. And some of these years that we're looking at show a lot of variability, meaning there's a lot of things that can happen between now and harvest time. And one of those could be an early frost. Now, even though our forecasts for the months of September, October, November are all above normal temperatures, it doesn't mean something can just, can't just sneak right in there at once and just put a mess on everything. I think the, the risk for an early frost should be on our minds as we're looking forward. And definitely me and other forecasters as we're looking into the fall season here, can we get an early frost? because that could have a major impact on especially corn and soybeans. Any other things that you wanted to touch on or add on to anything? Yeah, I think there's a lot of, of concern here about La Nina. I know it's been brought up a lot and we've seen the strength of it diminishing over the last several weeks, which isn't a good thing. It just depends on your perspective. What it does mean is that La Nina isn't a huge driver of our weather right now, which is a good thing because usually in the summertime, if we do, if we are under La Nina uh, situation, that does promote a central U.S. ridge, hot, dry conditions. Without that in play, there's a lot more smaller things that can come in and mess up that overall background hot, dry forecast. Like I mentioned with the system coming up potentially next week that models just started to grab onto yesterday. And those things happen in, in short order. You don't see those coming down more than maybe a couple of weeks ahead of time. Even if you see a hot, dry forecast, it does not mean that something might not pop up. With La Nina not being a huge factor right now, that definitely will be the case. Look for variability in your forecasts coming up. Uh, and what I would say is that for the La Nina picture, we do see it. It's weaker now. So we're still sort of in a baseline state La Nina on the tipping edge right now. In the fall season, we had a little bit cooler, so we should stay in the La Nina through the fall. But model forecasts from just about every agency across the globe agree that we will be getting into a neutral state La Nina going through winter. And projection of that is actually towards an El Nino for next year. So we'll have to see if that kind of takes shape or not. Usually we like to see these things happen in the fall. So if we're looking for 
El Nino to be a big player. We would need that to start up in the fall rather than in the wintertime. But it's definitely something we'll be we'll be looking at. And it'll be great to get out of a La Nina state for a while. I think for a lot of people in the plains who've been dealing with drought, dryness, heat, getting some warmer temperatures and some higher precipitation during the winter and spring months would be be quite lovely for those folks. Definitely, I don't want to get anybody's hopes up, but at least it looks like we're getting out of the La Nina conditions. You can read John's full analysis and up-to-the-minute reporting on all things ag weather at dtnpf.com or in the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to John Baranek. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until then, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Weather Station. Are you looking to get more accurate, hyper-local weather information? By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your own fields, DTN Ag Weather Station supports you when making targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical applications and irrigation. DTN's Ag Weather Station can be purchased for as low as $9 a month depending on your current customer status with DTN. If you're looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.